The Apostle Paul says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your minds. Whenever I hear these words, I think of warnings I heard from my parents and my teachers during my junior high school years. The world, we were told, was a dangerous place. And sometimes it was. Stay out of trouble. Stay away from people who will get you into trouble. Remember who you are. Don't become something you aren't just because you want someone to like you. In Harry Weldon's music class, there was a dangerous kid. He had a sneer on his face, and he always had a pack of cigarettes in his pocket. He drank from his father's liquor cabinet. At least, that's what we were told. He left graffiti on the town overpass and bragged about all the girls he had kissed. The girls in the class, however, disputed this. He may have even spent some time in juvenile detention. But he was dangerously attractive. He was 13, going on 25. He always sat in the back and talked and laughed during the class. One day I walked into class and he called my name. Eldie, sit next to me. I was flattered in a terrifying kind of way. I sat down with him. I talked with him. I laughed at his jokes. And when class was over, we headed for the door. Mr. Weldon called my name. Steve Eldy, may I please talk to you for a moment at my desk? It wasn't so much a request as it was a command. I walked over to his desk. He spoke to me without looking up from his papers. Today I noticed you were sitting next to Matt. Yes, I said. You can sit next to Matt if you want to, he said. But if you continue to sit next to Matt, you will flunk this class. Then he looked up into my eyes and said, Do I make myself clear? Yes, Mr. Weldon. Good, he said, looking back down at his papers. See you tomorrow. The next day, I sat on the other side of the room. I never sat with Matt again, and I passed the class. Harry Weldon did me a favor that day. He could have said, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. But he said, Steve, you're not like him. You're a good kid. Don't be stupid. Another way to frame it is to say that we are in the world, but not of the world. There is tension in this. In, but not of. Often, though, it ends up not being in, but not of, 
but instead becomes a choice between not in and not of, or in and of. In the first, you call, crawl into your Christian bunker and you close the lid behind you. In the second, you are no different from the culture around you. Look at the incarnation, word made flesh. It would never have happened if God had decided not to be in the world. And it wouldn't have worked if God was completely in the world. The tension of in but not of is part of our story about the birth of Moses in Exodus 1 and 2. Joseph, you will remember, adapted to Egyptian life and culture. He held power over life and death during a catastrophic famine. But he never forgot who he was. And when his whole family came into Egypt, they brought with them who they were and what they had been. They brought their God with them. Because of Joseph, they had a place. But they never really fit in. It didn't matter that generation after generation had lived in Egypt. They stuck out like a sore thumb. Read Exodus 1, verse 8. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He saw the Hebrews as a threat. They kept having babies. Their numbers kept growing and they would not conform to Egyptian ways. They were different. They were perpetual outsiders. When you are in but not of, those who are in and of will see you as a threat. The Egyptians treated them badly. It was because the king feared them. He ordered that all the boys born to Hebrew women be killed, thrown into the river at birth and drowned. Genocide. But a child was born to a Hebrew woman and a Hebrew man, and they protected his life. They hid him for three months, and then, no longer able to conceal him, his mother placed him in a basket among the reeds in the shallow water at the river's edge, the same river which was to have killed him. And there he was found by the daughter of the king. She pulled him out of the water. There was no doubt to whom he belonged. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Moses stuck out like a sore thumb. But the daughter of the king protected him, hid him in her own household from the wrath of her father. And there, under the nose of the king, Moses fit in. In the biggest twist of all, he was nursed and raised by his own mother. Growing up, Moses learned who he really was. Raised in Egypt, he remained a Hebrew his mother named him Moshe, which is a play on the Hebrew word Masha, which means to draw out of the water.
Moses was lifted out of the water and then hidden in plain sight. He settled into Egyptian life, but he never conformed. He never forgot who he was. And one day, when he saw a slave, a Hebrew like himself being beaten and abused, Moses killed the Egyptian who was beating him. And then he fled for his life to Midian, where he tried to fit in, tried to disappear. Instead, as we know, he walked into a burning bush. God pulled Moses out of Midian and brought him back to Egypt. There again, he stuck out like a sore thumb. He stirred up lots of trouble and he led his people out of bondage through the desert to a promised land. All this is the backdrop to the story of redemption told in the Gospels. Jesus comes to the descendants of these peoples. He is born and hidden in obscurity. He lives and he suffers and in the end, he sticks out like a sore thumb on the cross. Moses was lifted out of the waters of death to deliver his people. Jesus is raised from death to life to deliver all of us. At his baptism by John, as Jesus was lifted out of the water, he was reminded who he is. You are my son whom I love. After he was baptized, he went out into the desert and he was tempted. Again, the entire temptation story comes down to one little word, if. If you are the son of God, do this. If you are the son of God, do that. Jesus is tempted to forget who he is, to forget what he is called to do. He is tempted to forget his identity and his purpose. Each time he answers, I know who I am. I know what I have to do. One of the greatest temptations for each of us is to become what others expect us to be, to conform to the world of someone else's expectations and forget who we are. Interesting then, that our gospel text today has everything to do with who Jesus is. He and his disciples come to Caesarea Philippi. He asks them a direct question. Who do people say I am? Some think you are John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Others think you are Elijah. Some think you are one of the prophets like Jeremiah. But who do you say I am, he asks them. You are the Christ, the Messiah, Peter says, the son of the living God. You nailed it, Jesus tells Peter. Don't tell anyone. The greatest temptation for Jesus was to conform to what the world expected him to be, a hero who would fix things. We are reminded when we read the gospel 
there are no shortcuts to resurrection. The road leads through suffering and death. Jesus did not conform to the world's expectations, nor should we. Don't be conformed to this world, Paul says, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. What is he talking about? Well, just before this in Romans, he tells them, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Your life itself, Paul says, is a fragrant offering that stands out, that sticks out. The unmistakable, irresistible aroma of God's mercy, grace, and unfailing love, of God's justice that pulls people up and out of the waters of bondage and death, that sets them free. Whatever you loose, Whatever you set free on earth will be set free in heaven, Jesus told his disciples. In other words, you're in the business of deliverance. Don't conform to the world, but be transformed. And in being transformed, in being set free, set others free, reach down and lift others up so that together we can use the gifts given to all of us, given to each of us. We all belong to one body, Paul says, and when we use our gifts together, we will stick out like a sore thumb and our lives themselves will be an act of worship. In our desire to fit in, we can do lots of stupid things. We can be pulled into trouble, bad trouble. To be conformed to bad behavior is not a good thing. Sometimes bad behavior is not what you do, but what you don't do. Conforming to the world is closing your eyes to injustice. Conforming to the world is closing your heart to the brokenhearted. Conforming to the world is remaining silent in the face of what you know isn't right. Conforming to the world is letting a lie go unchallenged, unanswered. Conforming to the world is living in selfish indifference, living under the illusion that life begins and ends with you. Conforming to the world is when we think our life belongs to us, that our life is ours to do whatever we want to do with it. The Apostle Paul had other ideas. None of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself, he said. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Only then will we stick out like sore thumbs for mercy and love and hope and justice. Many years ago, John Lewis said, 
I was searching for a way out, or as some might say, a way in. I heard the voice of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on an old radio. He said, we are all complicit when we tolerate injustice. He said, it is not enough to say things will get better by and by. He said, each of us has a moral obligation to stand up, to speak up, and to speak out. When you see something that is not right, you must say something. You must do something. Ordinary people with extraordinary vision can redeem the soul of America, Lewis said, by getting into what I call good trouble, necessary trouble. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. And don't be afraid to get into some good trouble. Amen.